This morning we're going to be covering Mark chapter 4, the parable of the soils. And the last time we spoke about the uh, proverbial strong man, Satan, who plunders, who holds on to his goods, those people and souls that he's deceived over the years, and how only Jesus could bind the strong man so his goods can be plundered. Uh, we also spoke about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is not a one-time gig. It's a, it's a mindset, it's a lifestyle of rejecting everything about God, and people still do it today. They, uh, whether they attribute his miracles, they, they explain them away, or they are just vehemently opposed uh, to, to, of course, the only way of salvation. And this has to go on and on and on and on. So it's not something that if you hear you say, gee, what if I did that? If you're actually asking that question, your heart is not calloused and hardened to the point where you would be asking that question. So, so don't worry about it in a sense. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about how to take personal responsibility when it comes to spiritual things. The heart is an interesting thing. Jeremiah says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we can't really judge another person's heart. We can't see into their heart, but God can. So in the parable of the soils, it's going to explain, because of the heart, and I'm going to explain what the heart is in Greek, Hebrew, and American culture, and how it guides us and it directs our everyday lives. But we're going to learn why people's behavior is a certain way towards God, good or bad, or in the things of God. You know, we look at the four soils, and the first soil is uh, basically this... This, um, it's a, a kind of plowed down, uh, hardened uh, soil that the seed falls on, and the devil comes and he plucks it away. So we ask the question, why do some people seem to come to the Lord and then so quickly abandon the faith? Right? That's, that's a question. We look at the second soil, and we ask, ask ourselves, why do some people seem to be doing good as believers for a while, and then a big trial comes in their life, and they become bitter, and they fall away from the faith? Uh, why does some, the enigma of the churchy people, how can we have churchy people come to a church and hear the solid word of God, but not have a relationship with God? You know, people come to church for many different reasons. Sometimes it's a microcosm of society. So they're, they're churchy. They may be in for years. And they'd be wonderful people, but they don't have a relationship with God and they don't bear fruit. And then at the end, of course, the, the final soil, which is a soil that we should all desire to have, in our hearts, is the person who comes and receives the Lord, is excited for the things of the Lord, and seems to do well. Now listen, we all sin, brothers and sisters. So if you're excited for the Lord, you came up to receive the Lord, and you're going through a hard time, or you're backsliding, the Lord always offers forgiveness. But the fourth soil is a good soil, because that person receives the implanted word, and they run the race to win, they finish well. So these are the questions that we may ask about life, and Jesus is going to answer them. Now, it might be a little frightening at first. I mean, we're going to cover the first two soils. Um, and if you're not here next Sunday for the second part, I just would ask you to get it off the website for free because it's really the conclusion and the encouraging portion and, and the helps portion, so to speak, of this parable. So let's jump in. In verse 1, it says, And again he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it, on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teachings, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. 
But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. So we have some symbols here. We need to know who's the sower, what, what's the seed, the various four soils, what do they represent? What's the sun represent? The birds and the thorns. In verse 9, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Now that's crucial. This morning, do we have ears to hear? This is the beauty of God's word. I don't care how old it is. There's still an application for our lives today in 2014 on the East Coast. Do we have ears to hear? It's kind of funny when you think about the eyes versus the ears. You know, our eyes are set up really towards the front of our head and and they pick up maybe about 180 degrees of field of view. Stuff that we can't see because we don't have the proverbial eyes in the back of our head. Uh, we also know that if something frightens us, we can close our eyes. When we go to sleep, we close our eyes. However, the ears are very different. The ears are on 180 degrees offset on the periphery of our head. And they can pick up 360 degrees worth of sound. Like if you're having a conversation... With you guys and somebody talking behind me, I can still hear what they're saying. Even when we're sleeping. We're sleeping, our brain's in a different state, but the ears are still picking up signals because we don't have flaps on our ears like we have on our eyes. So, right? It would, that can be weird, I guess. So Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And that's important because we can look at this on a spiritual sense as well. So the ears pick up information. It goes through the various bones and, and you know, the labyrinths inside of the ear, and then it ends up across the auditory nerve and processes pro- probably a digital signal that's recorded in the brain. However, what do we do with information that comes in the ear? We take what we like, we put it in the hard drive, so to speak, and everything else gets deleted. So we're very selective about what we hear and what we want to retain. He who has ears, let him hear. This morning, you could be coming here and you could be thinking about something that's going on in your life. You could be thinking about what you have to do this week. And maybe to you, I sound like, remember the Peanuts, Charlie Brown's teacher? So a lot of you have seen the Peanuts. Some of you may come in and you're... Maybe someone made you come in and you're adverse to Christianity and you're really not hearing what I'm saying, but you're trying to find something that you can hang me on, you know, because you're, you're, you have a critical spirit and you're looking for something that you can say, see, I'm not coming back here. I'm not going to read my Bible. Yet others, according to Jesus, will hear the word of God and it'll rest in their hearts and they'll be, it'll become, it'll produce fruit. And we'll talk about that. I'm going to read this again in verse 10. Or let me go to verse 10. It says, But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, there were some in the crowd that asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Verse 10 is the key. It says, 
They asked him, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does that mean? I, I really, you know, this has been bugging me the whole time and I didn't want to interrupt you, but Jesus, what does this stuff mean? There will be people who desire to know the things of God and there will be people who don't. It's that simple. Much of the crowd, not all, were looking either for a free meal, a healing, an emotional boost, some encouragement, but they were unconcerned with the things of God behind the miracles. And today, you know what's really sad is when I run into believers who say to me, basically, whether they turn on the TV on a Sunday morning or they watch the Christian channel or they're selective in what they find on the computer, they just want to be ministered to. I just want to be ministered to. And that's their mantra all the time. They just want to be ministered to. What about the part of the scripture that's convicting? What about the part of the scripture that's introspective? So many times in today's even aggregate church, we can find people that act like the crowd. They're really not interested in what the word has to say and how it cuts deeply. They're just interested in what they can get out of it. Verse 12. For those of you in a study Bible, there's going to be uh, most of 12 is italicized, and the reason is, is because it comes from Isaiah chapter 6, several centuries before the Lord came to the earth. Uh, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Isaiah, and I'll just briefly say what happened. Isaiah gets a, a vision of God. Uh, when you can, read it, Isaiah 6. Um, it'll give you chills. It's one of those few portions of scripture where God opens the door and lets us see a picture of the spiritual realm. And I've taught on this, and it just, it just is an amazing portion of Scripture. So Isaiah sees the glory of God. I mean, it's just an amazing picture. I'm not going to go through it. And uh, God says, I have a mission. I need somebody to take my message. And Isaiah is so overwhelmed. He goes, let me do it. He, he raised his hand. I'm a sinner. God says, I'll deal with that. And then Isaiah asked the question. So and I'm going to paraphrase it. So what's my, my ministry going to be like? Am I going to Hawaii? Is it going to be, you know, some people, they have ministries and they just are looking for the comfort aspect of it. But God said to Isaiah, this is going to be a hard ministry. The majority of the people that you're going to speak to, you're going to talk about my truths and my word are not going to listen. That's sad. That's sad. It was true in Isaiah's day. It was true in Jesus's day. And it's true today. And if you're in ministry long enough, this stuff will break your heart. When we don't know the Lord, we're sinking in quicksand and we don't realize it. And for those of us who have become saved, uh, in a sense, others on the ledge, on the precipice, have given their hands and said, take my hand. And those of us who were saved reached up and said, okay. And we took their hand and we were pulled out of the quicksand. However, there are some that are in the quicksand of the world and they hear the word of God and they prefer to continue to cross their arms and close their eyes and not take anybody's hands. And that's a sad thing to watch. So in Isaiah's day, Jesus' day, and today we still see it. And in essence, we will be divided into two camps. Those of us who want to know God's truth and those like the aggregate crowd who didn't ask any questions, who don't really care. They're looking for other things. And when we die, we end up in one of two places. Jesus spoke about inside the kingdom or outside the kingdom. And it's our choice, brothers and sisters. I just want you to understand this. This is not an elite club. I have to make that very clear. Everyone in this room, everyone listening on the CD or on the website can be saved. Right? That's why God so loved the world that he sent his only son and his desire is for everyone to be saved. So that's very important to understand. And it's our choice. We can live for eternity or we can bank on the next 10, 10, 20, 30 years, not getting hit by a bus or dying of some disease, 
feeding our flesh, living for this pitiful, ephemeral, and short-lived world. Or we can live forever with God. It's our choice. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So it does appear that this parable is the key to unlocking at least the parables that he spoke about that particular day and certainly had some significance to all the parables that were spoken because all the parables speak about what? Salvation and eternal things. Do you find that exciting? That Jesus now, he unlocks the secret to the disciples and the few from the crowd who have asked the question, and he says that you can know the mysteries of God. I find that very exciting. Let me, let me go back um, some 25 years to when I was in college. Went to Rutgers, right? Wasn't saved. There was a, a nightlife in New Brunswick. The bars were open until 2, 3 in the morning. Very unfulfilled life. The more I got, the more I wanted. And uh, I have to tell you that with this huge magnet of campus life, of the nightlife in New Brunswick, okay, there was a little, little, tiny Bible study in somebody's dorm. Handful of believers, maybe six or seven. They weren't very popular. They weren't the sports kings and queens. Um, however, I would sneak out away from my partying friends at times, and I would go to this little Bible study like Nicodemus at night. He left his Pharisee friends, right? That was me. I was little Nick. And I would hear what they had to say. And do you realize that little insignificant, nothing Bible study that the world would look at had such an impact on my life that years later, that was part of the reason why I came to faith. And I got to tell you, last year, I don't remember a lot of what they looked like except for one kid who went to my calculus class with me. Last year, my wife and I were in Peddler's Village and I saw him. And I couldn't wait to tell him and catch him up on 25 years. He didn't even know I was saved. And he was like, whoa. (laughs) Then I said to him, why don't you try a little harder? I should have got saved sooner. And he smiled. So even unbelievers, when we think they're not paying attention, they may not want to admit it, but there's something extremely attractive about the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation to their eternal soul. So this parable will help us to understand why some follow hard after the Lord And some are unconcerned. It also clarifies why Jesus wasn't so smitten by the crowds. And and today you wouldn't know that in in Christian ministries. A lot of these guys are, they're they're doggedly hard after numbers, 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 numbers. Big, big. Bigger isn't always better. Personal discipleship is when you see with the seed thrown is where it's at. This personal discipleship. Jesus did his best work one-on-one or with small groups than with the multitude. You can get lost in big religion. You can get lost in huge Christian events. And Satan can pluck away that seed if you're not plugged in because you're not strong enough to walk with the Lord yet. I want to read one more and then we'll go into the symbolism. Keeping you in suspense here. Matthew 13. Same account. Matthew decides that he wanted to add this. It's a longer gospel. Jesus also said, Blessed... But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And this is a a parallel with 1 Peter 1. 
Amazing, where the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter, speaks about the prophets and the angels and over the millennia, how they, they were like, well, what's God doing? What's the master doing? This is so exciting. And the prophets, God would say, write it down. I don't really understand what I'm writing about this Messiah, you know, crucified, but I'm going to do it. And then it all came to pass at the cross. Everybody got it, including Satan. And he realized that his time was short. So I'm excited about this as I jump in. As you can say, I'm, this is contained, by the way. All right? So let's go to Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering it Entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Now I am going to, you're going to hear me say Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel. Because what I love to do, those of you who are part of our fellowship regularly, when I go through the gospels, I bring them all together, I tie them all in, because they each have different nuances to the same expression, the same uh, event. So this is where the symbolism starts to unfold. Number one is the seed. The seed is the word of God, which has properties of earthly seed, of germinating and producing a crop, a miraculous crop. So this, actually, I have smaller seeds, but my wife does a lot of horticulture. She's a master gardener, so there's never a lack of seed or some type of vegetation. So I brought this seed. It's a bigger seed. It's actually a sunflower seed. Most of you can't even see it in my hand because it's small. Inside this hard husk is an embryonic plant. Now the germination process is very interesting because everything has to be right. It falls into the soil. There's got to be moisture. There's got to be a certain temperature. There's got to be oxygen. There's got to be sunlight. There's different factors that help this little embryonic plant to break through the hard shell and start to grow. And the sunflower seeds in the summer are taller than me. They're huge. They're big smiley faces, big round, and the birds pluck out and eat their seeds. The Word of God is no different. The Word of God starts out small. The Word. You know, you might hear it for five minutes from an evangelist. You might have a friend in college talk to you about God and what he's done in your life. It starts out, compared to your life, it's, it's such a small sliver of time. But it also has the properties of growing and, and producing a huge crop in your life if you allow that to happen. And when you sow the seed, and you, you, would, you would take, um, back in those days, they would, they would take their seed and they would do certain things to the soil, and they would just throw their seed. And the seed would go everywhere. I've got to pick that up later. <laughs> but the seeds, this could be the stony path, this could be the good soil, you know, it, it could go all over the place. So the sower starts with Christ. He sows the word. And it can become anyone. It can be you this morning. Anybody who's here. You could be a God. You could be, excuse me, you could be a part of God's master plan. 
Anyone who is willing to share the glorious truth about God's word and salvation is the sower. So again, it starts with Jesus, then the disciples, and eventually us. You could hear from the evangelist, the teacher, the Christian who just wants to share their faith and what God has done in their life and the truth about his word. The third symbol that we have to understand is the human heart. This is very, very, very important because, you know, I, you know, I went, took all the sciences in college. I know what the heart is. It's a four-chamber muscle that sits, you know, inside the rib cage, and, you know, it's, it's necessary for life, and we can go through the ventricles and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is the understanding. The word in Hebrew is lab. The word in Greek is cardia, where we get cardiology. Who says it's hard to translate the Bible? However, the heart is understood not necessarily as the muscle, but it's understood as the collection in, in the human person of the intellect, the will, and the emotions. All three of those working together to guide us. Correct? Now, this is interesting because this understanding was big in Hebrew culture, Hebrew poetry. You know, it's amazing. The Greeks did this too. They would speak about the heart, not necessarily speaking about the four-chamber muscle. The will, the intellect, and the emotions. And it also transcended to American culture. How many songs do you hear, oh, my heart is aching for you, or my heart is breaking, or you're, whatever. What, I don't, I'm not going to be on the worship team. But the bottom line is the heart, the understanding of the heart has pervaded American culture as well. Now the heart takes in information. We take in information. And the heart decides what will take root in our lives and what type of crop that will produce. So as we move on through the soils, it's good for us to think about our own heart, our own tendencies, and our own predispositions as this starts to unfold. So let's now jump into the first soil. The first soil, well, it was a traveled dirt road. Now I'm taking the Greek as well as the other scriptures together. So this is, this is the road. It's a traveled road. Back in the day, they didn't have asphalt. It was a dirt road. However, with the, with the wagons and the troops and the horses, eventually that road would become hardened and compacted. In Luke's gospel, it says it was a trampled down road. Thus, it becomes hardened, making it easy when the seeds of God's word fall on it for, the, for Satan and his demons represented by the birds. It's just, a, it's just a story. It doesn't mean that birds are bad. To come and pluck. Well, Jesus was a genius. I mean, the son of God, the mind that he had. To pluck the word of God away as soon as it hits the person's heart. So many come forward to receive Jesus Christ and then disappear. If I get a chance to speak to a new believer, I tell them the battle isn't over. It's just begun. Satan will try to get you to redo, to go back on what you heard, to think you're ridiculous. Satan can implant suggestions, and we can take those suggestions, but we have to filter them and say, no, that's not of God. That's not right. I know this was right when I went up because it was the word that led me to this situation. So it's very important when we deal with new believers to help to, uh, you know, help them to strengthen themselves spiritually. They're born again. They're new baby believers. Now, in last Sunday's message, we talked about the strong man. Uh, he, believe me, when Jesus plunders his goods, he wants some of those goods back. He wants them all back. So there is a battle for your soul when you come forward, raise your hand, say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay? With the compacted soil, again, we can say the first soil is a hard heart. 
And when we think of the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil, this is the devil. We'll go through either one of these, each one of these. However, the devil only has an opportunity when we give him one. Keep that in mind. Oh, I can't help it. He snatched the seed out of my heart. No. We have to give him that opportunity. Right? You control your heart. God gave you free will. As God won't dominate you and force you to become part of his ranks in the kingdom of heaven, which is an awesome thing, you also have free will when it comes to satanic influences. So we decide what will take root. Think about this. When I ask you this question, what comes to mind? What, what's your favorite thing to do? What's your life's pursuit? Whatever came to your mind is something that you've allowed to take root in your heart, right? What about God? Is there any room for him in, in our hearts? This, pers- this person may have made an impulsive decision for Christ or had an initial desire that hasn't lasted. They may be easily dissuaded by peers or satanic influences. You'll hear, what are you, a Jesus freak? What are you, a Bible thumper? Don't take this stuff too seriously. You know, the terrorists are extremists too. And you can become extremists as well. They make all these stupid links that you can't link. When we're truly sold out for the Lord, we want to love people. We don't want to hurt them. We want them to receive a salvation like we did. Okay? Now, when it comes to the, the falling away, this happens the fastest out of all the soils. This one seems it gets down on a road, the birds see it, they pluck it out, it happens quickly. The other ones that we go through, will be, they'll be there a little bit longer and a little bit longer until we get to the good soil. It's good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> now, sometimes the answer to a hard soil is to have it plowed, is to have it tilled, is to have sharp instruments, uh, instruments come in and break up that soil so it can become good soil. And sometimes that can come in the form of a trial where I've seen the toughest of people come to God through difficult trials. Let me just say this. There is another interpretation, I believe is a valid interpretation. Some say that because the seed fell and it didn't really take root, that there was no conversion experience at all. And I'm, I'm open to that. I like to give different points of view here. Uh, the, the idea is that you know, Satan plucks it up before it could even germinate. So maybe the person didn't even come forward, but they have a hard heart. They have a hard heart, and um, you know they they just don't accept it at all. They're tough. They have a tough exterior, and that and that's valid too. As we go through the illustration here, I thought this was neat. I was looking at parable of the soils. <laughs> She's angry. <laughs> She's not happy. So basically, you have the different uh, soils represented by a caricature, and here's the first one. So the heart. It's in a heart shape. It's opened up, and you see all the little seed and the birds picking it up. That's the first heart. The second soil, I'm going to use the word soil and and heart interchangeably. The second soil is this stony path with like a thin film of soil on the top of it. The second heart is a shallow heart. Jesus said it lacked moisture. In addition, he also said it lacked root in itself. This is shallow, shallow, shallow. Think of American culture. We are becoming increasingly shallow. We have everything and we're still complaining. While people, uh, three quarters of the earth's population are starving to death. We have everything and we're complaining. We want more toys. We want more stuff. We're shallow. There's no root in ourselves. It's not taking any root. There's no depth there. People are a, a mile wide and an inch deep. 
This is somebody who may come to Christ in an emotional experience, but not really count the cost of what it means to be a Christian. They receive it with joy, Jesus said. The person, again, may be emotion-driven, seems good at the time, until the trials come represented by the sun. Okay, so if you look at the second soil, he's not real happy. Uh, here's the heart, here's the sun, and you can see that the seed started to grow into something and the sun withered it. I'm going to talk about that. It's sad. This situation, the trial may become more intense and a greater pressure than the first soil. And if we look at the category of the world, the flesh, and the devil, we can see this really as the flesh. Right? Because Jesus speaks about these characteristics one after the other. It lacked moisture. There was no root within itself. We, again, control the properties of our own hearts. What we receive, what we won't. What will grow, what won't grow. So it's the flesh. It's this shallow cultural flesh. And unfortunately, it's more prevalent in Western Christianity. When you go to other countries, they don't have what we have. They have their life, their family, and their faith. And that's usually about it. And the shirt on their backs. We have so many things, and it can lead us into a shallow state. This type of person may, for a while, seem like they're doing okay, but they're shallow. They might put on a phony Christian front, speak the phony Christian lingo, but they're not real. They may have a religious exterior on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, they handle life's problems completely in an ungodly way. Now, I tell you, as a a police officer... Um, For many years, especially since I was a Christian, I would run into Christians, some Calvary Christians, that were so out there, but they put a good face on a Sunday morning that they had to be arrested and brought into the legal system because of their ongoing behaviors. Okay? That's a shallow person. Right? Look good for your church family. Do whatever you want the rest of the week. I want to digress for a moment. The weather's becoming nice, isn't it? (laughs) How many people are looking forward to spring? Okay. When you leave the church, think about spring. Think about happy thoughts. And when the beautiful spring comes, the sun is at a little bit of a different angle in the sky. Well, it's really the trajectory of the earth, and it's, you know, whatever. I don't want to go into the science of it, but it looks to us like, you know, it's a little bit lower. And then when we get to July and August, I mean, it's really on fire. It's, it's really heating up. So when we go out in the spring, let's look at the grass growing and the plants growing and the, the, you know, the ground cover and such. Take notice to parts of either the church landscape or your own landscape where you see a film of soil and things are growing and you know under it are bricks or concrete or stone And it's not very deep. So look at the beautiful vegetation. Tell me come July and August when we get those 100 degree days, let me know if you still see the vegetation there. You won't. It'll be gone. I've seen it happen firsthand. Because the sun is so intense, the, the soil is so shallow, it can't hold water, and it doesn't have deep enough roots to go down and get other water. So this is this is a masterpiece. Two powerful words here. The sun scorched it and the seed withered. This type of person may run into a strong trial and, this, and the, the trial and the trial is so powerful and they're not relying on God and they haven't put down roots. So what happens, what does it lead to? And you've seen it. Bitterness, anger, resentment. Like I said in my opening. 
And then they, they leave the faith. They abandon, you know. Anything connected with church, church family or God, they vilify. They become very angry because they're not prepared to receive these trials and, and get through it. We as Christians hate trials too. As mature Christians, we also hate trials. However, we know how to weather those trials because we've put down roots and God supplies us. We have that taproot. It picks up the moisture when we're getting barraged from the outside, from the world. God sustains us through that trial. And when we come out of it, we'll all admit, including myself, believe me, there's plenty of things I don't want to go back to. <laughs> I, I got the lesson. Thanks a lot. I won't do it again. But what we'll do is we'll admit that it matured us. It changed us. It made us more compassionate. It made us have more feelings for others. And that's what God's trying to accomplish. So he can use anything. So basically what we have is this situation where Jesus says they have no root in themselves. And this is another thing in the Christian culture. Changing churches eight, nine, ten times. The problem is not the pastor. It's not the word of God. It's not the music. It's not the church family. If you're getting the word and you keep changing churches, why do you keep doing that? The problem is you. Look in the mirror. There may be a shallowness that needs to be dealt with. The solution to the second heart is depth of of soil and moisture. Now, this can come in the form of discipleship in the word. The best thing for a shallow person who claims to be a believer is for them to continue to be discipled in the word discipled in the word you have a life experience somebody good to come around uh, alongside that person as a mentor a discipler and disciple them in the word this is how we go through these trials to encourage them to strengthen them to also make sure they take responsibility in growing now all of a sudden those roots start to come come down i'm told in israel um much of the soil was so stony but they had certain vegetations that were so powerful trees that as the roots went down, it actually would split boulders. And it would take time. And the roots would grow and grow. And the root wasn't given way. Grow and grow and grow. And eventually the pressure on that boulder, there was a fracture and it would just split in half. And this is what happens. They actually have some good ground out there now because of certain vegetation that they've planted to break up a lot of this stony ground. Interesting, isn't it? We're told in Ephesians 5 that Jesus washes his church, believers, collectively with the water of the word. That is the cure for anything in life, to continue to be washed by the water of the word. Shallow people don't know enough of the word, and if they do, they don't apply it. But there's those that really want to be changed by the word, not stay in in victimhood, not stay in excuses, but to move forward and move on, move on. You know, I listen to people and they, um, they talk about things and they talk about situations and, and I'll give them my ear for a long time. But if I keep hearing it week after week after week, I'll say, listen, move on. Your focus is on the wrong thing. Focus on God's word and growing in your faith. And some people, they don't want to do it. They like that status of victimhood. And that's, listen, that's why we have so many talk shows. Everybody's a victim. My parents were divorced. We grew up on welfare. We moved around a lot. You know what? I don't blame anybody. It actually changed me and made me a better person to have compassion for those that are going through that. So we're not victims. We're victorious, the Bible says. Before we close, and this is where we're going to stop, the next two uh, soils are going to be next Sunday. These people are not monsters. They're nice people. They're nice neighbors. They might even be pleasant. 
But what I said in the opening is we get to understand and it explains why people do what they do. Why do they fall away? Why do they become resentful towards God when they seem to be on fire for the Lord a month ago? Jesus helps us to understand behavior based on belief, and that belief is what is happening in a person's heart. So next Sunday, I would urge you, I know it's kind of a cliffhanger uh, this Sunday, but listen to the next Sunday sermon, because that's where the real encouragement comes in. That's where the real understanding, if we have any of these tendencies, we look in the Word and see how God can change us we, we, we realize the problem by looking in the spiritual mirror and asking God to work on that part of us so we can grow in maturity, and that's the beauty of it. This may be a wake-up call for some, but I also believe it's a message of hope. And here's the, here is the point as we, as we close. What kind of heart am I? Am I the hardened path? Or do I have the hard heart? where Satan is easily plucking those, the word of God from, from me? Am I the stony path with the thin layer of, of soil on it, where I, I'm, I'm really okay until something bad happens, then I get angry, resentful, and bitter? Am I the, the heart, the soil that seems to do good for a while, and things grow, and then the thorns come and choke it and make it unfruitful? Or do I, is my heart good soil? And if my heart isn't good soil, Lord, what it's going to take for my heart to be good soil? I really want that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for your word. It's awesome. It's powerful. How Jesus could reach the overeducated, he could also reach the undereducated, the poor, the simple, the ones that couldn't read. He told simple stories that would pique people's interests so that everybody could be fit into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter what race, what background, what they did in their past, what their socioeconomic life looks like. Jesus has a big tent. And I just pray this morning, if there's anybody here who doesn't know the word, who doesn't know the Lord, you have a heart. You have one of these four hearts. And I would encourage you that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you would come up. Maybe somebody will walk up with you. Just come up to the front here. Where's that seed going? Where is it fallen in your heart? Can you receive it? Because Jesus wants to do a work in your life. He wants to increase you 30-fold, 60, 100. That's what he wants to do. Those numbers are not possible in, in agrarian culture. They understood that without a miracle. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. So this morning, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a way for you. So as the worship team plays, if you don't know Jesus, please be the fertile heart. Come forward. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We'll lead you in, a, in a, a prayer. Christ is here to hear you. You don't have to be part of our church. You don't have to ever give us anything. Jesus gave salvation freely. So what we would ask you the same thing. You come forward. Don't waste this awesome parable that's speaking to you if you don't know the Lord. You come forward as the worship team plays.